Raised the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip, zap, kazoo! The Buckos just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop, and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play! Thank you for joining the 412 Double Play Podcast. Rough roads continue for the Bucks this past week. We'll break it all down. But I am, as always, your host, Michael Castrigano, joined by my co-host, Ed Wassel. Ed, how are you doing today? Not bad. Not bad at all. The week started good, ended good, but those in-between games, I feel like we talked about last week, the offense needs to put stuff together, put up four runs and the finale game but still not really getting those hits consistently I, I don't know when was the last time we had a home run Oof. in a couple days yeah it's been a little bit so that's definitely something that we hopefully will see in the upcoming series but let's quickly pivot to the roster roundup on the eighth they optioned mark matthias pulled up Chris Owings from Indianapolis. He has been okay in Indy, but I don't think he's really going to get too much runway uh, with the Bucks. On the ninth, they optioned Cody Bolton, selected the contract of uh, center fielder Josh Palacios. He was on a tear in Indy and was a minor league rule five pick last uh this past off season from the nationals i want to say hasn't gotten too much going yet but there's potential they also recalled luis ortiz and dfa chase de young for assignment they signed free agent left-handed pitcher ryan borucki to a minor league contract he's not on the 40 man i think he was designated from the cubs earlier in the week but he does have ties to toronto previously and Chase Young cleared waivers on, I think, Thursday and was sent outright to Indianapolis. Ed, any surprises for you? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say surprises. I thought when Owings was promoted, I thought it was due to the poor play at shortstop. We had a ton of errors coming from that position. Yep. I thought he was going to come in and kind of you know, step right into shortstop and try to cut down on some of the mistakes, but I haven't really seen that. That's why I was texting you the other day. I was like, has he even played since being promoted? He hasn't played a lot. He's had, I think, nine at-bats coming into today, and he started today. And I don't think he got a hit. I'd have to go back and check the stat sheet. But yeah, I think 
between him and Marcano, one of them has to be a defensive option at shortstop. We did get uh, Jared Triolo. He's back at Indianapolis, and I think he profiles best defensively if we're looking at potential shortstops currently on the 40-man. I'd prefer Triolo over either of them. Although Marcano... Marcano's shown some athleticism. He he powered a double to left, I think, last night. Um, yeah, he's he's got some pop in his swing that that's a little sneaky sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we we both like Triolo. I don't know how much experience he really has at short. I feel like he was mainly what third base, with sprinkled in a couple starts over at short. Mostly, yeah. But he's athletic enough. Like Key Hayes is athletic enough. He could play shortstop and probably win a Gold Glove there. Holy. Oh, he should not start at shortstop today. He was he came in late for Marcano, so he didn't even get an at bat today. Yeah, he's one for nine so far. So they're not really giving him too A many shot. opportunities. Yeah, <laughs> Matthias was pretty much just to hit against left-handed pitchers, and I think he did a good job at it. I don't think he was necessarily the problem. He's not gonna. He's not an everyday player. He's fine. Cody Bolton, okay, he got sent down. That's fine. Kind of leaves our bullpen a bit shorthanded, pulling up Palacios. But if you if you pull up a guy who's a hot hand, you kind of got to play him as often as you can. And they haven't. They pretty much sat him. But Chase DeYoung, uh, are are we surprised that he's off the forty man, or are we surprised that it took this long? I'm more surprised it took this long. We we had options, so I don't know what they were necessarily waiting on. Uh, they were looking the at the analytics and saying he should be better than what he is. I honest, I mean, all of us were looking at the analytics and saying I think he's worse than what he is. You look at the sub three ERA he posted last season, but he was giving up hard contact. He wasn't getting strikeouts. He like nothing was showing it as sustainable. And they still were saying, okay, this is going to be our long man. So, which we didn't have a ton of other options. Will Crow is injured. Uh, Johan Ramirez, maybe. Uh, who else can be the long man out of the pen? Uh, well, it depends on how far they want to stretch it. You can bring up somebody who was a starter in the minors and have him start off as a long man in the majors, work his way back into the rotation. I've seen stuff like that before. Possibly. We've got Ortiz up right now. Uh, I don't know if he's going to continue starting. Vince Velasquez, from what we've been told, is only going to miss two starts. So he should be back in, what would that be, 15 days this weekend? Is that the main if the uh, Diamondback series, or maybe right after it, somewhere around there. So he shouldn't miss too much time, but Ortiz might get another run in the rotation. He is still on the active roster, so because they didn't send him down to call up a reliever in the interim, <laughs> makes it seem like he is going to get another shot. Oviedo's had some struggles, although he looked. He had some control issues, but overall was okay. In was that Friday's game? Yeah, Saturday was Contreras. Yeah, he didn't do anything to 
get put in the bullpen. And you're going to have a couple of rough starts here and there. Are we talking Oviedo? Yeah. He's really lost his sink, not his sinker, his slider. Um, he was leaning on other pitches on Friday. Um, I was covering that and did the write-up for uh, inside the Bucks basement. And he was still going about a third of the time with the slider, but he's bringing in more fastballs, curve, occasional changeup. That's good. That's a good. That's a good learning experience to have to go to those other pitches. I mean, right, he was really wild. Well, you're going to be if if you're used to going what sixty plus percent on a slider, and now you got to cut that down by a half. Probably was about that previous starts, but it, yeah, I mean it worked out for him. He went into the sixth inning before giving up a run, and then bullpen imploded. But let's. Go ahead and jump right into our weekly recap. Like we said, not a great week. We had the Rockies at home to start the week. Mitch Keller, dominant start to open it, shutting Colorado out. His first complete game, first shutout, obviously, of his career. But game two, Luis Ortiz had some hard hits, some bad luck on defense, led to extra runs scoring as as a result. And then the Pirates were looking good in game three. They had a 3-0 lead going top four, but Rich Hill started to unravel. He had a leadoff walk in the fourth. And it felt like it shook him a little bit. He eventually gave up the tying run before uh, Robert Stevenson allowed the winning run, or go-ahead run at the time, to score in the seventh. So only winning one of the three games at home against the Rockies, it was nice to get a win after getting shut out against Tampa and Toronto last week. But I still feel like after the last time we faced Colorado that we – had their number and it just didn't show up again and well, i don't know if it's like fatigue or what but let's talk quick about the rocky series we had discussed on last week's episode coming into it that the rockies were a different team than the last time we faced them i mean they were on pretty much the exact opposite of us we were on like a seven game losing streak or six game losing streak and they were six game win streak so yeah. you know you're playing a team even if they're not as good, or you beat them before. If they're on a hot streak and you're cold, you never know what's going to happen. I think in general in baseball, you just never know what's going to happen. You know, the Oakland A's have, what, eight wins? But I'm sure when their opponents face them, they didn't think they were going to lose in those games. So that stuff's going to happen. I thought it was unfortunate, and I feel like there were some opportunities. But then getting into Baltimore, we didn't fare a whole lot better. Let a few times in game one, but the inconsistent offense, we couldn't put up a crooked number. Bullpen fell apart after that strong-ish start from Johan Oviedo. Had a late rally in the ninth, but the Orioles brought in their closer, Felix Bautista. Felt like he got a couple calls, some high inside strikes, but, uh, you know, you kind of got to put it together all nine innings. It, It can't just fall apart and in one. And then last night we had Rowanzi Contreras, strong start for game two. He went seven innings, only allowed two runs off of solo homers, but the offense, like we said, non-existent. We dropped that one to zero. And then Keller, the stopper again today with seven shutout innings, 13 strikeouts, just a ridiculous tear he's been on. Uh, I only have good things to say about Keller right now. The offense is still fairly inconsistent. Shelty made some moves with the lineup construction ahead of today's game. It may have helped 
but it's still early to tell because it's just one game that we're showing on that. Um, what were your thoughts on that? They moved Kutch to leadoff, Jack Sawinski down to the cleanup spot, Hayes hitting behind him at five. Uh, Santana, I think, was in the three spot. There were some other moves. Uh, Bay was up a little bit higher. Well, I, I think they need to continue to move Bay up higher. I know they have him down low as like a pseudo leadoff for whether it be the third or fourth inning, depending on how you're, you get your outs. But, you know, with his speed, he should be batting one or two, in my opinion. I mean, you're going to see different pitches in those, in that part of the order. You're not in front of freaking hedges who. <laughs> hey, he was on base three times today. One hit and two walks. Yeah, I mean, that's good. But Something cons- surprising. Consistently, consistently I, that is not the case. I was watching, I don't know if it was Friday or Saturday. I'm guessing it was Friday because we didn't get any hits in Saturday's game. And Hedges poked a single to right. I was like, oh, my God. He could swing a bat. I didn't think I'll he think, could, but. Think think about it. If you're, say you're, you're Bay batting ahead of Hedges, I'm the opposing pitcher. I don't really have to give this guy much to hit. Right. Because I've, I've never liked, I, I would have preferred Hedges to be eight and Bay to be nine and work as a second leadoff guy rather right. than yeah. have him be ahead of Hedges. Yeah. I feel like that's, yeah, no, 100% agree. I mean, only other issue with that is if you have Hedges on base in front of Bay. Oh, because you're of slowing, the you're slowing Bay down. Yeah, but, that's a good point. And that's probably why they didn't do it, but. I agree. I like the idea of Bay moving up in the lineup. I feel like last year there were points in time where Sawinski was hitting eighth ahead of, like, I mean, the nine guy typically has been the worst hitter. And Sawinski had dropped down because he was struggling. And hitting eighth ahead of somebody who's not good isn't going to help you get better. And Bay's been struggling, but he's mostly hitting eighth, and I don't think that's a good spot for him. Yeah, like, like I said, you're you know, depending on where you are in that lineup, they're going to pitch you differently. Yep, you're not going to see the same pitches at the eighth spot as you are at one or two. Like I'd rather Bay bat behind someone like I don't want to say like Sawinski or Santana because I don't know about him batting that high up, but uh, if Touch were in like the four spot. I'd be fine with Bay batting behind him because Kutch has speed. So if he walks and he's on base and Bay, you know, tries to get an infield single or a bunt hit or something, Kutch would be able to make room for him. But I don't, as long as he's not, you know, down at the bottom of the lineup, Bay's got to have that opportunity to use that speed and potentially get driven in from wherever he is. So, and he had that big hit today since being moved up in the lineup. Who was on base? Uh, Sawinski and Hayes, I think. Yeah, they scored. So they were on second and third. Uh, They were on first and third. Marcano uh, bunted right back to the pitcher. And then, yeah, they hit a single to right field and scored them both. 
That was what third inning, something like that. Yeah. I honestly, I'd like to see him. Maybe not necessarily first, but second. I don't know. I, I want to see how this plays out with having Kutch at leadoff because his on base percentage is 357, which is, I believe, second highest on the team behind Sawinski. But you're not going to put Sawinski at first. No. Uh, well, you say that, that, but we also had Cruz leading off, who's. I still know, think that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that's nuts. Um, yeah, Reynolds needs to refine his power swing. Santana, I think Santana neither of them. Off. Santana, they've got tomorrow off. Santana and Reynolds, yeah, but the, the, neither the of them have into in this season. The plan coming into the season was to have him split in time with Choi. Yep. And he has not had nearly the amount of days off that I think they were expecting to get him. I think, did we talk about that on the episode last week, or was that something we were texting about? I don't, I can't don't remember. remember. But anyway, yeah, the, the idea that Santana and Choi would be splitting time at first base to keep he's 37. I'm almost 35, and I was playing with my kid at the playground for like an hour today and was like, ugh, F this. Too, too old for this. <laughs> um, I can't imagine how they can play at an elite level being older than me. They're in a lot better shape, but. I, uh, that's got to wear on you. Yeah. And Santana definitely seems like it's, it's worn on him. No for five day today. Yep. I think he's had two hits or three hits in the past week. He's definitely been struggling, but they don't have a ton of other options. So it's just going to come down to that. Right. You don't want Joe playing first too often. Against a lefty, if we're going to have options in the outfield there, maybe maybe Santana could DH and put Kutch back in the outfield now that it's getting warmer. A little surprising Kutch hasn't played outfield in, like, what, a month? Well, that was kind of the plan coming into the season, so at least they're sticking to one of them. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we've gone off on that tangent, let's talk about what's going on down on the farm. Indianapolis split their series with the St. Paul Saints. Surprising power output from Chavez Young, who knocked in eight runs behind two homers and a triple, slugging 938 on the week. Oswaldo Badeau, potential starting pitcher, depth went five scoreless in his start, four hits, three hit batters, and four strikeouts. Indians are now at 18 and 20 record. Altoona dropped four of six to the Akron Rubber Ducks, but Tank Davis keeps raking. Two doubles, two home runs, three walks to two strikeouts, and a 1.267 OPS on the week. His OPS on the season is now 1.100 over the 25 games in Altoona. He's got video game numbers at this point. The curve are now 15 and 16 on the season. Greensboro, they won four of six games over the Jersey Shore Blue Claws. Trey Gonzalez slash 368, 381, 421 on the week, going four for four, stealing bases as the Grasshoppers rise to 20 and 13. And finally, Bradenton took four of six, besting the Lakeland Flying Tigers. Jesus Sanchez and Javier Rivas paced the offense, combining for 10 RBI and five extra base hits. All of the starters this week were very good, but J.P. Massey 
five shutout innings in his start, two hits, two walks, a hit batter, and nine strikeouts. The Marauders are also now 20 and 13 on the year. We're seeing some really cool stuff from the minor leagues. I know Altoona, Yeah, we have a, a really good problem to have with Davis <laughs> and Indy. Because it's one of those, like, where Davis, he deserves to be out of double-A at this point, but you also want him to play consistently behind the plate. It's it's a great problem to have, except for the fact that the fans are now clamoring for him to be in Pittsburgh or for him to be in Indy. And everyone's saying that, oh, but, you know, Indy, Indy's struggling. Maybe Davis should come up and Indy should go down. Indy's not struggling. His OPS is still, like, 760. He was on base at least three times today. I think they were all walks, but he's still getting on base. He's still having really good plate appearances. He's still having excellent at-bats. The game-calling aspects, you know, he, he and Davis both need to develop at it. It's not something you're going to know overnight. They're still very young, and I agree. It's, it's a good problem to have. Um, we've got a lot of interesting young pitchers that I got to try to see in person. Thomas Harrington in Bradenton, he had another strong start, like five innings, five hits, one run, something like that. I don't have the stats in front of me, so I'm just guessing. But he's consistently doing well. A lot of guys in Bradenton that uh, mostly from the draft last year because we drafted so many pitchers. They're really exciting. Indianapolis has some like surprising good stuff. When Priester starting to turn a quarter, uh, six innings, six hits, two runs. He's still not striking out as many as you'd like. And I was saying that I would have liked him to kind of understudy with Keller in spring training. I don't know how much they were able to work together, but I like Priester needs a put away pitch. Yeah. I mean, either, either Keller or Brubaker because. Well, yeah. But Keller has so many, he could be like, well, what about, what about the fastball? What about the sinker? What about the sweeper? What about the curve? What about the changeup? What about, he's got like eight yeah, different not pitches. Every, not everyone can throw all those pitches. <laughs> Keller can throw all those pitches. And Priester, I think he's got three. With the amount of times we talked about these prospects, you'd think I would know what each of them throws. Yeah, if we talk about so many, they just get jumbled. There's too many. All right, well, let's talk about a former prospect turned pirate. Our special this week, Ace in the Making, is now. We don't have a lot of positives to talk about right now, but there has been one storyline that I've been stuck on and considering doing a write-up about it several times this season. Mitch Keller, the seemingly busted prospect a year ago when he was relegated to the bullpen, has quietly become one of the best pitchers in baseball. His last five starts, 33 innings, 44 strikeouts, with only four walks and a 1.36 ERA over that time. Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette tweeted today, since May 31st, 2022, Keller has a 2.95 ERA over 31 starts while defending Cy Young winner. Sandy Alcantara has a 3.01 ERA in that time. I made a boast in the preseason that we would have a starter with double-digit wins, and Keller is halfway there already, tying his career high in a season with five. He's easily been the ace of the rotation, currently holding a 2.38 ERA with 69 strikeouts to 14 walks. His whip is barely over one. There have allegedly been talks about extending him, 
but that there's been no progress recently on that front. With Hayes and Reynolds already locked up, he's clearly the, ne the next big target. Now, I won't make predictions as bold as saying that he has a Cy Young in his future, but at the rate he's going, it might not just be one. And if the Pirates believe in that potential, as well they should, they better make sure that if it happens, it happens in a Pirates uniform. Ed, what are your thoughts on the transformation of Mitch Keller from what we saw as he debuted in 2019, the struggles, and how far he's come from that I think he had like a seven ERA in one of his seasons, and now he's one of the league leaders. But it was a real neat transformation to see because, you know, a highly touted prospect coming up, you expect so highly of him, and then you see those struggles early on, which you can expect some struggles early on. But it just seemed like he he wasn't really progressing, you know, those first two seasons, and then. Like you had mentioned last year, gets pushed into the bullpen, and you're thinking, oh, man. <laughs> Here was just, at one point, I believe he was our number one prospect coming up. He was one or two. It was him and Hayes. I'd have to go back and look, but, yeah, he was he was up there. He was definitely our top and pitching prospect at the time. You know, and you're thinking, man, what a squandered opportunity. And then it just seemed like out of nowhere, something just clicked whether it was just adding that one more pitch or I, I don't know what it was, but with all the numbers you had just mentioned, he has been lights out since the all-star break of last year. It's been wild. I just saw somebody posted something about his ranks in the national league. He is sixth in ERA tied for fourth in wins third in strikeouts and third in innings pitched. Are all of those among starters? Yeah. Yeah, among starting pitchers in the National League. Who in the world has better ERAs? Uh, Alex Cobb of the Giants is 1.70. Justin Steele of the Cubs. He's been weirdly amazing. 1.82. And then Brad Elder of the Braves, 1.94. And Zach Gal... Oh, hang on. Zach Allen of the Diamondbacks, 2.35. And Kershaw, he's got a 2.36. Still, top six. <laughs> top six. It's like, oh, so six? Just like, yeah, yep. top six. But 2.38, he's right there with some very elite company. Um, I, I, I think that if they can lock him up, which with every start he has like today, he's getting further and further away from being able to make that happen. It's uh, kind of ridiculous how, like the tear that he's been on. Honestly, uh, I saw a tweet. Hang on, let me get that pulled up. Just had it. Then I accidentally closed it. About he struck out 39 batters in his last four games. Only two other Pittsburgh Pirates in all of history have done that. Bob Veal in the mid-60s and Oliver Perez in 2004. The recently retired Oliver Perez. So, boy, if you're going to be in the conversation with Oli Perez, add some heat. Um, I, I think that he adds so much to this 
team and to the rotation and the development over this past year has been like insane. Because I remember him, the video of him working in um, like the, the training last spring or last winter, I guess, going into 2022 season. And he was hitting 100 on the radar. And we're like, okay, this is it. Mitch Keller breakout season. And it was just coming out flat and he wasn't missing bats and he wasn't locating well, but he added the sinker and he's, he's just, he's got this renewed confidence and you see it on the mound every start 13 strikeouts today. And no, you also walks. see confidence that Shelton has in him now. Yeah. Let him go the distance last thing. week, which you were, I think mad about. I was upset. Yeah. It just, he was nearing 100 pitches. Game was, I don't want to say already in hand because it wasn't like it was a blowout. But, right, it was a duo game. You know, my opinion, you know, if he was going for uh, a no-hitter, perfect game, okay, give him that shot. But you just had Velasquez go down. Pitching depth isn't outstanding. Don't risk having your ace get hurt just just to throw a complete game. So, yeah, that was my thoughts. I'm I mean, glad he didn't. I, I was happy to for him to go out and prove that he could do it. I don't need him doing it every start, but right, everyone was happy he did it. But another big step. He's he's going to get NL Pitcher of the Week. Yes, seventeen innings, zero point zero zero ERA. I think he had eight. How many strikeouts did he have last time? Nine. So twenty two strikeouts in that time with one walk, weeks? maybe. 16 innings, right? Seven. What did I say? 17. Oh, yeah, 16 innings. He went seven today. Either way. <laughs> he should Pretty get... Insane start. Yeah. Or stretch of starts, really. So let's look ahead. We got the day off Monday when this episode comes out, so you guys can spend the whole day just listening to this. And then Tuesday... We're going to Detroit facing the Tigers. Nobody is on the docket as of right now as the starting pitcher. And we're facing uh, Michael Lorenzen. I think he was formerly a Cincinnati Red. Name's familiar there. And then we've got Rich Hill facing Southpaw Eduardo Rodriguez on Wednesday day game. So just quick two game set in Detroit. What I mean, let's assume Ortiz is going to start the game on Tuesday. Because he's still on the roster, the fact that they didn't send him down means that they want him going another almost like 98% chance that they're going to have him start the game. So assuming Ortiz, Lorenzen, and Hill, Rodriguez, what are your thoughts? Have a little mini sweep. Oh, you think we go 2-0 in the, in the series? I think so. I... Rodriguez has been really good this season. We haven't done as well against lefties as I'd like. It would be a really cool momentum. Uh, I'd probably say one and one, but uh, it, it could happen. I'm not. It, I'm not saying it's outside the realm of possibility. Certainly for us to sweep it, but my prediction, I'm, I'm going to uh, temper expectations a little bit more and say one and one. 
I like our chances against Lorenzen. I think that Rodriguez is very good, and Hill typically goes out there and gives up a couple. So it just depends on how well we can do against Rodriguez on how we'll fare in that series. But this weekend at home against the Diamondbacks, who they're not leading the NOS, but they're a lot higher than I would have expected, and we've got two of their top pitchers coming into this series. Zach Gallen will face Johan Oviedo in the opener on Friday. Brandon, I can't imagine the name is pronounced like this, but I also don't know how else it would be pronounced. Brandon Fat is playing uh, against Rolante Contreras on Saturday. And then Sunday, we've got Mitch Keller, and he's going against Merrill Kelly. So they are two top pitchers and Fat in the middle. It's P-F-A-A-D-T. How would you pronounce that? Uh, P-F-A-A-D-T. Yeah. Fad? What? Fad? Anyway, so we're going against Brandon on Friday, on Saturday. Zach, Brandon, and Merrill. Well, like I said, yeah, Gallon is going to be. I like I like how in the opening game is uh, two former Cardinals prospects facing each other, because Gallon was part of the trade to the Marlins for uh, Marcelo Zuna years ago. And then he went to Arizona in, I think, the Marte trade, I want to say. And now he's like a legit Cy Young contender. Yeah, he's another one that has pitched really well since, like, around the All-Star break of last year. Yeah, so there's uh, a that's, – that's a tough series. What are your predictions for that? It's a tough series, but – Typically, we play decent against the West, so. I mean, it's not the AL East where we are. Well, I mean, we swept the Red Sox, but in May, we are one and eight. So well, I'll, yeah. be, I'll be a little bold and say we take two of those. I don't think that's a bad prediction. I'm going to say we take one of three because I've... I'm being a little less bold than you. So you think we're going to have a four and one week. And I think we're going to go two and three. I really hope we have a four and one week. (laughs) I mean, that'd be a pretty great week. Trust me, this fan base can really use a four and one week at this point. I think this fan base would be happy if we just don't get swept anymore. (laughs) Like... You'd be surprised at some of. Them. I know we. I know we won two games this past week, but let's let's win a start where Keller's not on the mound. Let's let's try doing that. Start building building on that stuff. Listen, I've seen some posts and comments, and it's like the city is burning down after having a bit of a funk. I, it's almost as if they've never watched baseball before. I know there's going to be peaks and there's going to be valleys. Somebody posted like. Starting 20 and 8 was the worst thing that could have happened to this team because the expectations were that they'd be able to maintain that, and it's not sustainable for this I, team. They're, I don't they're... think any sane person thought that we were going to sustain that pace. I mean, I've seen people calling for Shelton Ted, wanting to fire him, talking about 
the Reynolds extension being horrible because ever since he's been extended, he hasn't been good, which not really true. You know, yeah, eleven game hit streak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you power dipped a little bit, but whatever. Yeah, it, it, I mean they dragged head just through the mud, like everyone hates. We get it. His, yeah, his bat isn't there. It, we knew his bat wasn't going to be there. We hoped it might show up. But, but also, this start, pitching rotation super overperformed, and a big reason was because of him. And Keller, after his complete game last last week, was like, "Hey, you know, thanks, Hedges. It's all because of you. Thank you so much, and all this stuff." And I think he was saying the same thing again today, just like, "Hey, another great start. Thanks, Hedges, for like Hedges is his guy right now." You throw Davis behind the plate, it's he's calling a different game. Andy, he's calling a different game. You're not necessarily going to have that kind of trust between the two of them. Right. And you see that all over the league where I remember I don't remember who it was exactly, but it, you know, late night, well, probably early two thousands with the Yankees. I used to I was a kid at the time, but I'd question like, why does this why is Posada not catching for whoever it was that was pitching. Every time this guy pitched, it was somebody else. And it was, you know, that guy trusted whoever that backup catcher was. That was his guy. Posada was not a good catcher. Was not a good defensive catcher. The, the bat was there, obviously, but... Yep. No, yeah. that's... Just... Yeah, that's the thing. You, As the pitcher... You're hoping that the other eight guys are going to make up for whoever you have catching. If you, that catcher is like your guy, because he's the one. He's they're not having the the back and forth discussion anymore. It seems like it's basically the catcher calls a pitch, and then that's it. They just kind of go and they're, you're not seeing them like shaking it and having a big discussion. They don't have the time for it anymore. Yeah, you could shake it off. It's just like you were saying, it's a bit of a time crunch. You have to have a lot of faith there on what they're calling. And, I'll, I mean, it could just be that a lot of the younger pitchers just trust what Edge is throwing at them. I think it's something like that. I, they, I've only heard praise from the pitchers, and if they didn't like what he was doing back there, they could just say nothing. But they're not. They're, they're so high on hedges. You see, going back to spring training, him working with Andy and Davis and trying to get them better. And if and when either of them gets called up while he's with the team, he's going to continue to have that mentorship with them. You don't need to rush these guys up. If we don't make the playoffs this year, it's not the end of the world. It'd be great if we could. We have some talented guys, but nobody who's going to be important long-term is going to be gone after this season. Right. We got Reynolds locked up. Yeah, he's not hitting home runs lately, but he's very talented. And the power is going to be there. He's going to hit doubles. He's going to hit for average. He stole like his fifth or sixth base today, which ties a career high for a season. (laughs) So... (laughs) Just kind of having that that sort of run right now. Hopefully, as the weather warms up, he's he's him and McCutcheon. They've historically been really good in June. 
So I would expect that that potentially continues. And as, as it warms up, they bats do too. So we've been going on long enough. So that wraps it up for all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at 412 Double Play. Follow Ed at Ed underscore Wassel. I am still doing game recaps for Inside the Bucks Basement Sundays and Mondays, as well as posting posing pitcher previews daily on my Twitter account. So definitely check those out. I think we will have the online shop opening this week. I haven't had time to finalize some designs. Been busy with writing and some work and family stuff, but hoping to get that soon. The fact that we've been promoting it week in and week out uh, has gotten a little silly. So hopefully it doesn't suck and y'all like it. But... <laughs> Uh, continue listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, wherever else podcasts are found. Make sure to subscribe, turn on notifications, whatever, so you get uh, notified when we do drop new episodes. We're hoping to have some cool guests coming up. We, we're in talks with some people, uh, have some fun content in the near future. But from all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go, Bucks. Let's go, Bucks.